mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Being Like Any Other Man. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Judges, chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Here now... Pastor Moody. Look at Judges chapter 16, and I want to look at verse number 16. Judges chapter 16 and verse number 16, and this is when Delilah was trying to find out the great source, the source of, of Samson's great strength. The Bible said, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There has not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me. Notice the last phrase. He says, And I shall become weak, and be like any other man. I'll become weak, and I'll be like any other man. I want to talk to you tonight just a little bit about that from that phrase that he said of being like any other man. You know, I know that there are individuals in our world today, individuals who who have great personalities, who have great charisma, people who have achieved fame, people who have accomplished great feats in their lives. There are men that are revered as, as being very popular for different reasons, whether, I mean, and women, whether it's being sports characters or, or entertainment type people or politicians or whoever they may be. And they've achieved what we might determine to be greatness in their field. And here was a man that, I want to say, was in that arena. Here was a man, Samson, who was a Nazarite under the Lord. I'll explain that just a, in just a little bit. And because of that, God had endued him and endowed him with supernatural strength. I want you to understand that it was for a divine purpose that God had given this man this ability and this strength. God had raised him up from his childhood with godly parents who kept the promise that they made unto God. The, the three things that, that, uh, that determined the Nazarite vow was, number one, that he would never drink strong drink. He would keep himself separated from that. The other thing was that he would not touch a dead corpse or be involved, be defiled and made any unclean by anything that was dead. And then the other thing was that he would not cut his hair because it was a symbol of his promise to God. And so Samson was this Nazarite. He kept the Nazarite vow. And this vow was a vow of commitment, a symbol of dedication of oneself 
and lifestyle to fulfill the purpose of God. In Numbers chapter 6, when God was explaining this to Moses and Moses put this down, the scripture said that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine, from strong drink. He'll drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, which means the distilled drink, the alcohol. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat any moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernel or even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and he shall let the flocks, the, the locks, I'm sorry, of his hair grow. The Bible said in Judges chapter 13, it tells about Samson's call and his experience. It said there was a certain man of Zerah of the family of the Danites of the tribe of Dan of Israel whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren. She had, had not born any children. And the angel of the Lord, the Bible said, appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and shall bear a son or she was going to have a child. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee. Watch this. Even the mother, before Samson was born, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, nor eat anything, eat not, eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall, watch this, begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I want to say this, that Samson had this great call, this great anointing. He had this great strength in his life. And I want you to understand that his strength was not really his physical body. He, he didn't work out at the, at the gym. He, he, uh, you know, he, 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 was, he wasn't a, a weightlifter and all of those things. And, uh, and it was not really just because of his hair, but it was because of his vow, his commitment to God. It was the direct result of a relationship with God that went to another level. I want to tell you today that I really feel like the Lord touched my heart with this, that we need men and women today in the body of Christ, in the church, who are willing to go to another level. We're not just trying to, you know, just trying to amble along and hope that we, you know, uh, make it to heaven one day. We're going there if we're saved. God has assured us of that. But I believe that there's a place that you can get with God where you can walk uh, separated under the Lord. You can walk in a relationship that's the result of prayer. That's the result of being like Samson, set apart, sanctified, and dedicated under the purpose of God in your life. Uh, Samson achieved that. 
yet through a series of enticements, through a series of stumblings on his own part as well. This man who had this great place with God through the, as a result of temptations and bad decisions, he lost his strength in the end. And for a while, he became like any other man. I believe that today that there's too many in the church world that are just like everybody else in the world. And I'm not saying this to be critical, but I'm saying this with brokenness that too often as believers, we, we do not strive to attain a higher level of relationship with God or a, or a more intimate walk with God, I should say, to the place that where God speaks to us readily, where that we can have, an, the Bible said in Revelation over and over again, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Sunday morning, I preached a message here at the church about our conscience, that we should be, amen, the Holy Spirit should be the conscience of the church and that the conscience, the church should be the conscience of the world. We should be presenting to the world a lifestyle and a relationship and an interaction with God that is undeniable, that's so powerful that the world would be convicted of its sin. I'm afraid today that the church has taken on the attitude of just trying to be like the world and be like everybody else and I know when you hear these things, many of you may just go ahead and, and check out. I, I don't want to hear that. But I'm here to tell you today that God has called us to a, to a higher plane of relationship with him. I believe today that if there's going to be an, an awakening in our country, if there's going to be an awakening in our world that makes people aware of God, aware of the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe if there's going to be an awareness in the world today that, the, that men and women are in danger. Listen, God is coming. We're coming to a place where I believe that God is trying to wake the church up to make the world aware that soon and very soon Jesus is coming. The church is going to be raptured. When the church is gone, hear me, those of you that might be, uh, maybe not understand what I'm talking about. Let me tell you something. There's something the Bible teaches called the catching away or the rapture of the church. It's the next great thing on God's prophetic calendar. I want to tell you there's not another thing in Bible prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the trump of God to sound, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, for the dead in Christ to rise first, for those of us that are alive and remain here on earth to be caught up together with them in the clouds uh, to meet the Lord in the air. And then when we're gone and the Holy Spirit takes the church out, then that Antichrist, amen, he's going to be released up on the earth. And the world is going in to what the Jesus referred to as the time of tribulation. 
It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called a time like never was or never shall be again. And you and I can, as Christians today, can, can look at that and say, well, praise the Lord, I'm leaving. But I wonder, what are we doing now while we're waiting for the coming of the Lord? Are we a people that, if we're not careful, are just becoming like everyone else? Or uh, can the world tell us apart from the unregenerate, from the unsaved? I'm not talking about legalism, but I'm talking about walking in a relationship with God. Hallelujah. That bears the fruit of that relationship. That lets people see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It causes people uh, to be aware that there is a people on this planet, amen, that God has a church, amen, that is his bride that's making herself ready, amen, for the coming of the Lord and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'd like to ask you today, uh, let me ask you, Christian, are you satisfied with your life right now? I've been questing myself in this vein. Are you satisfied with your prayer life? Are you satisfied with the way you're living? Are you satisfied, uh, amen, with the idea that the Lord might come? And if he does, amen, would he be satisfied with you in the way that you have served him? And if we're not careful, it's easy to be at ease in Zion. One place in the psalm that said we were at ease in Zion said we hanged our harps upon the willow. We sat down by the rivers. We hanged up our harps. We, we lost our praise. And, and then it said we wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered what it used to be like to walk in the presence of God and enjoy the goodness of God. I, I want to just talk to you for a moment today uh, Samson was enticed and he was vexed. The scripture said that, that, uh, that uh, amen, that she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that even his soul was vexed unto death. And then he told her all of his heart. I want to tell you something. There are enticers in this world today enticers that have one goal in mind, Christian, and that's to bring the child of God, amen, down to their level. You know, the world doesn't mind a church, amen, that doesn't present a holy God. The world doesn't mind a church, amen, that doesn't challenge their way of life or their lifestyle or their way of thinking. The world doesn't mind a church that's quiet and sits back and doesn't bother anyone. I want to tell you something. God never called us to be like everybody else. He called us to be separated, sanctified, holy, living a godly life. He called us, amen, to be living such a way. Jesus said this. He said, they hated me. You know why they hated Jesus? Because he was holy. You know why they hated Jesus? Because he was godly and they weren't. They hated Jesus because he convicted them of their sin and made them ashamed of the way they were living. And God wants a church today, amen, that doesn't run around condemning and pointing fingers, but yet we ought to have enough of God in our lives that people are convicted, amen. And uh, so the enticers, they try to pull you down. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 13, he said, if your brother 
the son of your mother or, or your own son or your daughter or, your, or the wife of your bosom or your friend, which is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely the gods of the people which are round about you and nigh unto you or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth. Listen, it says, you shall not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, nor neither shall thy eye pity him, neither shall you spare, neither shall you conceal him. You know what he was saying? When they try to entice you and pull you away from God. Listen to what God said under that Old Testament law. He said, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thy hand shall, uh, thy hand shall be first up on him to put him to death and afterwards the hand of all the people. In other words, people that tried to pull them to serve other gods, they were stoned to death. And I'm not recommending that you go out here and kill anybody, but I'm recommending that you try to kill the infant of those who try to pull you away from God. Amen. They try to get you to go back to where you used to be because you make them uncomfortable. Are you hearing me? Uh, uh, the Bible said this in Proverbs 1 and 10. My son, if sinners entice you, consent thou not. Verse 15. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain your, your foot from their path. Proverbs 28 and 10. Whosoever causes the righteous to go astray into an evil way shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. Can I tell you, if we're not living at a place or a level of relationship and commitment with God that we're able to fulfill what God's called us to, you become a stumbling block. You'll cause people to fall. And we, if we're not careful, you might say, Pastor, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just trying to be like everybody else. God has called us to be like Jesus. Amen. That's the call and the purpose of our life. Praise God. Amen. The scripture said this that uh, uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, and I didn't give them this scripture, but I want to read it, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. It said, For when we speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. Listen, whatever you let overtake you will take you into bondage. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. Listen, it says their end is worse with them than the beginning. It's possible for you, Christian, to find yourself in worse condition than you were in before you were even saved. That's what the Apostle Peter was saying. There are enticers, devils in this world. I heard a preacher on the radio this week. He made this statement, and, and he said, listen, Peter said this. He said, the, our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's walking around. He's looking 
trying to find somebody that he can devour. Believe me, the enemy's goal, Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the thief comes not but for to steal and kill and to destroy. I want to say this. Samson was a powerful man. But when Delilah was finished with him, the scripture in that story, if you go on to read it, says when they cut off his hair, that he rose up and he, he shook himself and said, I'll go out like before. But they grabbed him and he had no power. He was powerless. And listen, powerlessness is often the result of sin. It, it cripples preachers. It cripples Christians. It causes men and women of God to lose their anointing and their walk with God. Powerlessness is a very critical condition for the church to find itself in. Israel could not stand before their enemies because of sin, because they became powerless. In Joshua 7 and verse 12, it said, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed because of the sin of Achan. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the cursed thing from among you. If you remember that story, God, when, when they took Jericho, they said all the gold, everything in it is to be dedicated to God. But Achan took a wedge of gold and, and some pretty Babylonian clothes and, and, and hid him in his tent. And, and, and lots were drawn and God found him out. And they brought that man out of his tent and stoned him and his whole family to death because he took the accursed thing. Sin rendered the whole nation powerless. Apostasy in Israel, turning back from God, produced a whole nation of cowards. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 22, David left his hand, left his carriage in the hand of the keeper uh, of the carriage and ran into the army and came to salute his brethren. And when he came, he, the Bible said he, he came up, the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, uh, came out by, out of the armies of the Philistines and, and began to challenge Israel. And uh, you, you know that story. You've read that story over and over again. But the Bible said in 1 Samuel 17, 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They're turning away from God caused an army to turn into a, to a bunch of cowards, afraid to fight one man. Unbelief rendered the disciples helpless. Amen. When, uh, because there was a, a, a man that was demon-possessed. In the book of Mark, it tells the story. of One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought my son, uh, I brought unto you my son, talking to Jesus, who has a, a spirit that's possessed him. And uh, it takes him and tears him, and he foams and gnashes with his teeth, and he's pining away. He's withering away. He's dying. I spake to your disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I suffer you? And then he said, 
bring him to me. Later on, when they came into the house, they, the scripture said they, they asked Jesus, why could we not cast him out? And he said, this kind comes forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about we need to have a body, a church today that's committed to God in fasting, in prayer, in drawing nigh to God. We're, we want to be different. We don't want to be like everybody else. We don't want to just have church as usual. We don't just want two or three songs and a sermon and let everybody feel good about themselves and go right back to living like they were before. But we want to see people's lives changed and brought closer to God so that we can be a light shining in the darkness to a troubled world. Jesus said this in John 15. Listen, church. He said, I am the vine. I want you to get that the life comes from the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. I, I grow a garden, you know, and I've, I've got a, a real good garden this year doing well. But one of the things that I do is I, I walk out in that tomato patch and when I see that vine coming up out of the ground and I see those branches that's got blooms and tomatoes, I leave them alone. But some of those, we call them suckers, those other branches that start sprouting out and they've got no sign of life in them. I break those things off of that vine because they're, they're good for nothing. And you know what happens to them? I throw them down on the ground and before dark, they, they start withering up. By the next day or two, they dry up and before long, you can't even see them. They went right back into the dirt because Jesus said, I am the vine, amen, and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's what the church has got to realize. Verse six, he said, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, like those tomato branches. He's withered. Men gather them, cast them in the fire, and they are burned. Samson, amen, because of the enticers, found himself in a position of losing his strength and losing his power. He found himself coming to a place where he was powerless and not able to do what God had even raised him up to do. And uh, he said, being like any other man, if you cut off my glory, if you cut off my relationship, if you restrain my connection to the Lord, I become like anybody else. In verse 7, he said, I'll be weak like any other man. A change took place. In verse 11, he said the same thing. I'll be like any other man. In verse 17, he said, if you do this to me, he told that woman, I'll be like any other man. I don't know about you, but I don't have any desire to be like anybody else but Jesus. Amen. God has called us out to be different from all the rest of the world. God has called the church today to be his body, to be his representative, amen, in the world today. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's salvation. But God called us that after we're saved to abide in the vine, to bear fruit, to be Christ-like, to, to have a prayer life, to, to be dedicated to witnessing to the Lord. Listen, uh, if our gospel, the Bible said, if our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. 
We cannot just go along to get along. We have to stand against sin. We have to warn against sin. We have to let people know the Bible said that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every man, woman, boy, or girl that walks this planet, if you've not been saved, listen, you're a sinner. I don't care how good you were raised, how honest you are. We inherit the sinful nature of all the way back from Adam. Our parents were sinners. Our grandparents were sinners. And I know that that's a touchy subject with people. But the Bible teaches that we're born in sin. We're sinners by nature and many of us sinners by choice. And so God's called us to separate from sin. He's called us to be different from the rest. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible said, uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And we should be looking up, looking for that blessed hope, for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, watch this, buy us back from all iniquity and purify unto himself, make us clean unto himself a peculiar people. And uh, that word peculiar there doesn't mean weird. That's a word that, that means separated people. It means sanctified people. It means dedicated people, like a, like a Nazarite, dedicated unto serving God, uh, uh, unto himself a peculiar people that are zealous. We have a zeal to do good works, to do good things for God. My question today is, you know, as a Christian, can the world tell the difference in you and them? Let me ask you this. If you're not a Christian, are you tired of being like everybody else? Amen. Are you tired of, of just kind of going along with what the world does? You know, we're living in a day of, of a drug epidemic. We're living in a day of an epidemic of violence. We're living in a day of an epidemic of unrest and dissatisfaction. People are not satisfied with life. People are upset because of, of uh, what life has, has left them and what it has brought them to. But I want to tell you today, folks, that all that's in the world is the lust of the eye. Hear me. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and you might feel like you've been wronged and, and disenfranchised and betrayed and, and, and sold out and, and uh, that you didn't get your shot or you didn't get your chance. Listen, if, I don't care if you had Bill Gates' money. If, if you had the money of the wealthiest men in the world. If you don't have Christ, hear me. All that's in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and literally all that means, as long as you're in the world, you're just going to want more and more. Uh, you, everything you see, uh, nothing will satisfy you uh, because it, it'll take more of the material. It'll take more of the flesh to satisfy you because that's all that's in the world. There's nothing else. That, that's the best that Satan can give you. But listen, I've been a preacher. I'm preaching this gospel for over 40 years, about 42 years now, going on 43. And I've preached hundreds, maybe even thousands of funerals in that time of ministry. And I'm saying that to say this, that I've left that funeral home and left this church hundreds, 
hundreds of times on the way to that graveyard. I've never seen them tie a U-Haul trailer behind that hearse. I've never seen them take a thing with them. Friend, listen to me. And I'm not saying I'm just trying to be cute or trying to, to be smart. I'm telling you, all you attain in this world, somebody, I saw a bumper sticker that uh, said on a vehicle one time, said the one that dies with the most toys wins. No, sir. The one that dies with the most toys leaves them here like everybody else. Doesn't matter how big the house is, how much money you got, how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how pretty you are. All those things, you know, that, that you might have thought was, was what you was trying to achieve. The only thing that matters in this life is to know that you know the Lord and that you've committed your life to him, and that you're serving him in the beauty of holiness. And hear me, it's not wrong to have things and, and enjoy life and to have good things, but it's wrong to, to let those things cause you to just want to be like everybody else and cause you to miss out on your relationship with God. Amen. So in conclusion, let me say this. It seems to me that no matter what label the world wears, no matter what political party they are, can I just say that? No matter what race you are, no matter what ethnic group you are, doesn't matter what family you came from, doesn't matter what uh, echelon of life you came from, whether you came from the, you know, from the down and out or the up and in, if there is such a thing. If you, if you were born with a silver spoon or, or if you, you might be watching me and you're living in some third world country, you're not worried about what you're going to eat, you're worried about if you're going to eat. And the question is, what I'm saying is this, it doesn't matter what label the world puts on you, man without Christ is all the same. They're lost. They're lost. And only Jesus can give you eternal life and a real reason for living. Listen, people represent the one they serve. And in whatever capacity, amen, or position, you serve in. That's the one you represent. But God has a church. The word church is the word that means in the Greek it's ecclesia or the called out. And God didn't call us to represent the world. He didn't call us to represent some social club. He didn't call us to represent some political party. Listen, God didn't even call me to represent my ethnic group, who I am. God has called me to represent Jesus Christ and make you to understand that no matter who you are, where you came from, no matter what your last name is, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter what, where your ethnic roots are, God wants me to tell you that you need Jesus or you're just like everybody else. You're going to die lost and you're going to be eternally separated from him. But when we serve the Lord, listen, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen generation. He said, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, my goal as a Christian, we used to sing it in Sunday school when we were kids, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine till Jesus comes. 
I ain't going to let Satan blow it out. I ain't going to hide it under a bushel. I'm going to put my light up on a lampstand, and I'm going to show the world. Listen, I'm not, I'm not bragging about some religious pride or what group I belong to or what the name over the door is. I'm just trying to let somebody know that I know the man. I know Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who can save you from your sins and guarantee you, a, amen, a home in heaven and give you peace of mind and peace in your heart and, and a peace in your spirit. The Bible calls it peace that passes understanding, give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Make you, a, I have stood in third world countries and, and with people who didn't have, had never had new shoes on their feet or new clothes on their back and I've stood in an adobe church with a dirt floor and watched them cry and watched the tears fall in the dirt, not because they were sad, but tears of joy because they knew Jesus and they were rejoicing in the presence of God. You can be a Christian or you can be like everybody else. Child of God, you can serve the Lord and, and attain up to a higher level or you can be like any other man. God is looking for a man who will humble himself. John and Charles Wesley started the great Methodist movement and Charles was, was the song leader and John was the preacher. And uh, John Wesley, I read something that he, that he said and he said, any church that you can walk into or any child of God that you can find where there are never people laying prostrate on the floor in the presence of God, pouring their heart out to God and letting God fill them fresh with the fire of the Holy Spirit, he said, is a church that has backslid and is becoming just another worldly group. Now, that's pretty strong words. But I'm here to tell you that if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to get off our high horse and get on our face and seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon us. God, give us revival. God, stir up the church. God, help us have a burden and a vision not to be like any other man. Help us be the called out, the church, that peculiar people, that ecclesia, that group of people that wants to serve God in the beauty of holiness so the world can see that there's hope in the hopelessness that we call our society today. Washington doesn't have the answer. City officials don't have the answer. State governments don't have the answer. Even the people riding in the streets don't even know what they're asking for. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is what you need. Give your heart to him and serve him today. He'll lift you up and you won't be like everybody else. You'll walk with a satisfied life knowing you're going to heaven. And set our hearts on you. Lord, come and we hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.